to the EDM Podcast. My name is Connor O'Brien. If you're new here, this is a show where we interview artists, producers, and industry experts, really anyone who we feel can help you grow as a producer. As always, this episode is brought to you by EDMProd.com, an online resource dedicated to teaching electronic producers the tools and tactics needed to make better music. If you want to level up your production skills, whether it's learning the basics, writing better music, improving your mixes, or developing a more creative mindset, we've got you covered. Now, in this episode, I have a chat with Pluko. Pluko is a talented producer with releases on labels like Foreign Family Collective and Future Classic, and has released official remixes for artists like Tycho and Odessa. We start with Pluko's background, looking at his ambitious start to producing music in middle school. He discusses how he developed his skills early on, leading him to start touring by the age of 17. In terms of growing his project, Pluko really emphasizes the importance of marketing yourself early on, believing it to be just as important as the music itself, so it was great to hear kind of his approach for doing that. He also discusses how to know when to sign to a label, what the relationship with his management looks like, and how to forge your own path in music. On the production side, we discuss Pluko's mindset towards creating music that helps him to write a ton of ideas. If you're someone who's short on musical ideas or you consistently run into writer's block, is going to offer his best advice and how he maintains creative inspiration. Later on, we also discuss his favorite analog synths, how he uses the Ableton push to generate chord progressions, and his approach to creative resampling. One last thing, Pluko just released a track called Used To with cassette tapes. I'll play you a preview of it as we slide into the intro. It's an awesome track. Definitely go give it a listen as soon as this episode is over. Now with that, we'll wrap things up and get to the interview. Here's the EDM Podcast with Pluko. Welcome back to the EDM Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Sam, who releases under the name Pluko. Sam, how are you doing today? I'm good, man. How are you? Not too bad. So to start, I'd like to learn a bit more about your background with music. You can go back as far as you like, but I'd like to learn what got into music and later on music production. Um, yeah. So I mean, I guess just to kind of start things off, I uh, my whole family was very musically inclined. My, my sisters all played instruments like throughout uh, middle school and I mean, elementary school too. And, uh, all the way through high school. And honestly, I was forced to go to so many concerts that I, I really didn't like music for a long time. Uh, I kind of had to discover it, uh, myself, like until I discovered electronic music and everything that was going on with SoundCloud. I mean, even before that, I I was really into hip hop when way, when I was way too young to be into hip hop. Uh, but it was like first grade. I was listening to Lil Wayne, like Carter Three or whatever it was. But yeah, so it took me a while to actually get an appreciation for music. But once I finally kind of broke past that, like almost it just being constantly in my life. And once I broke past that and got into my own kind of sector of music and, and sort of found this fresh electronic thing that was happening, uh, that's when I really started to get into it. And I was like a big fan of electronic music before I was uh, into like production or anything like yeah. that. Uh, before I even thought about wanting to write music, I was very much so into like, I honestly think that the thing that got me into 
like electronic music with like quote unquote drops was uh vine and i would watch these like i used to be a really big hockey player and i'd watch these like hockey edits and they'd have like trap nation <laughs> like rl grime drops or whatever it was like rl grime remixes and then i then that got me onto like the whole soundcloud thing and then i just saw that people these people that were making the music were like kids and like normal like people you know they weren't any they, the only thing they needed was their computer and their headphones or whatever. So I think I was like 14 or 15 when I started making my first beats in uh, GarageBand. And then uh, I got FL Studio. It was like either the demo or some like sketchy version of it. But I only had that for like a month. And then I, uh, I we actually have a family friend that works for Ableton and they hooked up like the the discount, like the employee discount for Ableton. So once I got access to that and I was like, okay, I really need to take advantage of this opportunity because I definitely would not have paid for this software if it wasn't for this uh, this blessing that uh, yeah. I got it for legally for virtually free. So yeah, I mean, and then from there, I just like really, as soon as I got comfortable, like with what it, each little thing did in the DAW and, and all of that, it was like, you couldn't get me to do anything else. I was just constantly on my computer making weird noises and stuff. <laughs> so did you have anyone else in school with you, around you? Obviously you had that friend, uh, a friend of a friend at Ableton, but was anyone else around you making music, especially on a computer? No, absolutely not. No, I was, when I first started, I was like actually very much so made fun of for, I mean, the music, the music was bad now looking back on it, but like, I was like really, made fun of uh, in like eighth grade to the point where I told everybody I quit and I made a new SoundCloud account called Pluto with a T and uh, was writing music there and, and trying to get fans that weren't in my school because clearly I couldn't get any that were uh, locally. So how serious were you taking it if you were already on SoundCloud and when you were releasing music while you were in eighth grade? Like was this something more serious for you at that point or was it not really anything? Honestly, like I'm a very obsessive person and yeah. people I say like, oh, I never really took it that seriously at first. And then it started to pick up. Like as soon as I got into it, I was like, I am really into this. And I just instantly jumped to like wanting to be Skrillex when I was in like <laughs> eighth grade. And so I just, I was, it was pretty intense. I mean, I'm intense about literally everything in my life. So, uh, I would be lying if I said that it was just, I was just kind of dabbling at first. I mean, looking back on it compared to the amount of work that I put in now, I was definitely dabbling, but to me, it felt like it was the only thing that mattered in the world, you know? So that's interesting. And I think I see, I've definitely had that with a lot of people we've had on this podcast, like up until they were successful with this artist project, even when they were younger, they just went headfirst into every little thing that they did. Cause to an extent, that's what you need to push through to like getting enough hours for all this. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I just was, uh, yeah, I was just instantly obsessed with it. And I just was treating every single little moment like it was the biggest moment of my life. <laughs> like very dramatic, yeah. very intense, but <laughs> that's just how I am. <laughs> so did, I'm kind of curious, kind of along those lines, was there any moments while you were in high school that there was more of a reality check for you? Because I think everyone listening to this podcast, I'm sure while they're in eighth grade or freshman year of high school, had these bigger dreams, like I'm going to be the best this. And I'm sure you were naive at that point, but you can now see like, oh, this was harder than I thought. I am in a great place with music, but was there anything kind of looking back that you're like, this is a big reality check for how tough and difficult this is to be 
playing with Skrillex and running with those people? Honestly, like, again, I kind of like believe that I, I there's like something wrong with my brain and I see this in a lot of people. <laughs> like, I, I honestly see this in a lot of people, but like, I just like believed that what I was doing, like it was going to work. And uh, I just like knew that it was what I wanted to do, first of all. And second yeah. of all, I knew that it was, I was going to be, be, be able to turn it into something that was a, a career. And when I was like, things didn't start picking up. I mean, I started in like eighth grade and things, I started to get traction in 10th grade. Uh, that was when I put out breath. And then that's when things really started to pick yeah. up. And then, yeah, like I, I just really, I just like don't really believe in like all of these different like uh, expectations of like what reality is. You know what I mean? Like everybody's ready to go to school and all of this stuff. And I was like, I don't really think I need to go to school. I think I can just keep doing this and just like keep keep going hard with this. And not that that's not the right choice, but it just didn't feel like it was for me, it felt like what I was doing, like I was, I really felt like I was onto something and I still do to this day. I mean, I'm still not yeah. where I want to be, uh, looking back on things when I'm like 60, I want to look back and be like, I did much more than where I am now. I'm always going to be thinking about what's next, you know, like that's, yeah, that's what I mean. I'm so obsessive with whatever the next thing is, but yeah, I mean, I, I never really had like, a am I doing the right thing? Am I supposed to be doing music? Cause it always just felt so right. I mean, honestly, the biggest thing that I would say that I think falls in line with what you're asking is when uh, I grad. So I graduated high school last May, and my all my and then in the fall, all my classmates were going to college, and uh, it just like felt so weird because there was just one week I was with all of my friends hanging out, and then the next week everybody went to school, and it was just me still in my studio making music. And like, I've been playing shows and like my music's been streaming really well and all that stuff. Like everything's going just as well as it was before my friends left, but it just felt so weird because I was like by myself and I was like, wait a minute, am I supposed to be in school? And then really after a month, I was like, this is, this is crazy. I'm like literally starting to fall into the trap of like believing that I have to go to college. And I just, it's like a, it's not like a FOMO thing. I don't think that's like the right word, but it's just like everybody else is doing it. Like it feels like I should be, but then I'm like, wait, back up. Like, no, like you're on track. You're good. Uh, and yeah, it took me like two weeks to get out of that mindset, but yeah, that's probably the closest thing I've come to, to like a quote unquote reality check or something yeah. like that. How are your parents and friends reacting to you saying, I'm not going to go to college. I'm going to continue with this project. Uh, I, I mean, they were all pretty much like they all knew that that was coming. My, my parents knew that I wasn't going to school for the last like two years and they were fully okay with it. I mean, they, they went to Mexico to Sandara with me and they've been to, my mom used to be my tour manager. And then, uh, like they, they saw all of the, they saw that it wasn't just like random numbers online. They saw that I had real fans yeah. and that I was making m enough money to support myself. And, yeah, I mean, as soon as I stopped like asking my mom for money when I was like sixteen, <laughs> I think that's when she realized she was like, "Okay, like uh, this is something that's like legit. It's not just a fantasy, you know." Because to them, they want to see me happy and they want to see me happy with what I'm doing. And uh, but at the end of the day, they want to make sure that I'm like being able to sustain myself. And 
so as soon as they realized that, obviously, like I said, they wanted me to be happy and everything, but as soon as they realized that I was like making money and being able to pay for my own stuff and, and all of that, that that's when they were like, okay, like he knows what he's doing. This is, this is the move. So I kind of want to go back to your track breath. You said that that was the first under this project and then you had a different one before that, right? Um, no, I, I mean, I wouldn't really call it a project. It was just my name. It was just Sam Martinson and I was making like Martin Garrix style stuff. This was like eighth and ninth grade. And then in 10th grade, I started, uh, which I was 15 and I started or 16 and I started, uh, Pluto, like the planet. And I was putting out remixes on SoundCloud and stuff. And then the first official release was that collaboration, uh, for breath. Uh, that came out like the fall of 2016 or 17, 2016. And um, yeah, so that was like the first official release that was ever on Spotify or anything like that. Everything up until then was just remixes. And I did this like EP thing, uh, but it, I mean, it, it was just like a half-assed thing that I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm just curious to ask, because I feel like I see a lot of people that have a project that they just kind of throw music up to and they can't really get anyone to listen to their music. And I think part of that is just because their current project doesn't have any trajectory or growth on it. So I was just curious if you like had that record and you're like, okay, this is going to be something big. I'm going to rebrand because I think this is something to launch off of. But sounds like that wasn't really the case. No, not really. I mean, as soon as it started to pick up, then that's when we were like, okay, this is going to be our kind of our stepping stone into this uh, industry and everything like that. So all of the older stuff, I mean, my first EP that I put out when I was like 15, I, you can't find it anymore. Cause it's yeah. just like, I was like, I don't want anyone to know what that <laughs> is. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that was like kind of where everything started, yeah. like legitimately. It's cool to hear that. People don't realize how often that happens when an artist has like a big record break, they'll just scrape everything before that. I think um, Lil Nas X is the biggest example for that when old town road broke they like scrapped all of his previous music on youtube and on spotify so it was just like here's his big start for all of this yeah i mean it from a from like a marketing perspective and just from like a branding perspective i i don't always agree like right now i'm putting out music that i think is 10 times better than the music that i put out three years ago that's still out but i i don't think it would be the right move for me to take those things down because people still like them but I took down, I took down like my previous, previous stuff. Cause it was like really not bad and nobody listened to it in, or yeah. really bad. You know, that's what I <laughs> yeah, meant. Yeah. And nobody listened to it. But like, there are songs that I have out now that I'm not the most pumped on, but I know that there are still, I can see that people still enjoy them. So I, I don't, I don't want to take them down, even though I think that I've built myself up to something that's much more interesting than that. I still leave them up. I think it tells a story too where it's not just the latest stuff that you have out. I think for fans that find you now or maybe found you last year, it's cool for them to be able to go back and see that growth with it too. I love seeing that with other artists. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's so cool to be able to go back and see like the first, like where everything started and how much growth has happened uh, with any artist. I love going back and, and checking out. I mean, I think Diplo still has like his first ever song on SoundCloud or something. I, I think at some point I've scrolled the whole way down and checked yeah. out his track like 10 years ago or something. I just think that's really interesting. So let's rewind it back. So you uh, released Breath. That was a really big track for you. What were kind of your next steps to grow your career off of that? Uh, so when Breath came out, that was uh, 
I used to be with this label. It was called Pyramid. I don't even know if they're still around, but uh, it was like a Vici's kind of like side label thing that he was doing. And um, so we did Breath with them. And then I did like three more songs with them. I think it was three more. And to be quite honest, when Breath started blowing up, I still wasn't fully comfortable like with production and everything. Like I was writing things, I was writing things that I was stoked on, but it wasn't like I could do it every single time. So mm -hmm. I felt like an enormous amount of pressure that I had to make everything, everything had to be better the next time. And I, I honestly was just like, I skipped over a lot of things that I should have been learning back then that uh, I ended up having to learn later on the hard way, especially with things like mixing and mastering. Like I, I overlooked those so hard just because I was trying to write some banger track, you know? Yeah. And, um, but the next couple releases, they did well. I did a track with Max and uh, I did, what else did I do? We did this like vocal remix of Breath, which was Feel the Fire. And uh, so that, all of those things were doing pretty well. And, uh, and then I kind of started writing 16, uh, in like the springtime of 2017. And I had been working on that for a really long time. So things kind of slowed down while I was finishing that. And I was really caught up in album mode and everything. And I was also having this big transition from my old management to my new management and started to talk to the Odessa guys, uh, and, and doing stuff with foreign family. So that was kind of a period where there was a lot of growth happening and, a big transition for me. Yeah. Um, so once we had those like those first couple singles out, it was it kind of died down for a little bit. But yeah, I mean that's pretty much what the, what was following breath. So how did you end up building those initial connections with the Odessa guys, which you then rolled into um, releasing on Foreign Family Collective? Yeah, I mean, so just to like go back even a little bit further before I get into that, just yeah. like. The growth, the growth on SoundCloud and all of that really started with everything. Yeah, because I'm just saying this because I feel like I skipped over. I've, I haven't really talked about this. Mm -hmm. uh, but like the growth on SoundCloud and everything really started with just me going really hard with emails and DMs and all of that stuff and really trying to network my music and get it in front of people and yeah. spending more time doing that than even writing the music. Uh, and then... Out of nowhere, my my first manager kind of came to me and we started working. And really the thing that kind of pioneered the growth of that was just SoundCloud reposts and like getting getting my music in front of people. And uh those were like the good old days of SoundCloud <laughs> when like you could when you could send someone a song and if they liked it and they repost it, if they had like two hundred thousand followers, like a hundred thousand people were gonna see it. Yeah. But now now it's like that's not even possible, but, mm. um, so yeah, like finally people were starting to be like, Oh, this is cool. I'll repost it. And then, so that's how that, uh, kind of got started with just like a whole bunch of me being annoying, emailing people and people finally <laughs> listening. Yeah, uh, yeah. But then I, uh, so then once I got with my new manager, uh, it's with red light management. And so Odessa is with red light okay. as well. And so, uh, and I had already had my album, that I was working on 16, pretty much done. And so the, my, me and my team at Red Light were trying to figure everything out. And we were, uh, they were like, we're gonna send this to the Odessa guys and, and the foreign family team and see what they see what they think. And they sent an email back that they were really into it and they wanted to meet me and get on the phone and talk about the music. And they had a bunch of notes that they wanted to share. And so it really just, at that point, it really just felt like it 
made sense yeah. uh, to, to go with them. And I mean, the music kind of sounded like a foreign family release. And uh, obviously they were really stoked on it. And I wanted to work with people that were stoked on the music. So yeah, it was, it was great. I, I've met them for the first time in, I think it was either DC or Philadelphia. I drove with my friends to one of their shows and then stayed afterwards and we chatted about the, the album a little bit. And yeah, I mean, they're like the nicest guys in the world mm-hmm. and they uh, are very supportive and very into like when they would se- they'd send me an email of like a million notes. And then at the end of the email, they were like, you don't have to do any of this. This is your album. These are just our thoughts. You know, they're very understanding and cool guys. That's a cool thing. And it makes sense that they're it's an artist driven platform in Foreign Family Collective because they're artists themselves. So it's cool to see that they're down to help you out in any way that they can musically, but also let you do your own thing. Like I, you don't yeah. hear a lot of label relationships that are like that. Yeah, no, they're a very unique uh, group of people that are just all about creativity and, and just making cool, unique stuff. You know, that's really the, the, the end all be all of what they do. So recently over the past like year or so, you've been releasing on your own um, your own label. What kind of sparked your interest in doing that? Um, yeah. So basically I, once I did my album with foreign family and everything like that, we, uh, were just kind of looking around at, at labels and stuff because I mean, I just did that one album with foreign family and obviously we were still talking to foreign family and everything like that. And then, yeah, we were chatting with labels and, all of that stuff and sending around music and it just like something just wasn't really feeling right. Uh, and I'm just the kind of person that like, if you're not completely stoked on what I'm doing, then I don't yeah. really want to like, I don't want to work together and I don't want to be like put on the, like kind of like the back burner. And this isn't like directed towards anyone or anything like that. I'm just talking about my mentality with stuff. And so like, I just want people to be like jumping at the, at the gun to, to get, a listen for the music or to get their to be able to get their hands in. And if I'm not really feeling that, then I, uh, I just was like, you know what, honestly, right now, I feel like it makes the most sense for me to put out my music independently and just see how that goes. And so this was like springtime of 2019. And the other thing about labels too, is that it just is, they're just really like slow, you know, and it's not their fault. It's just that they have like so many artists and you have to lock things in like so far ahead of time. And I'm like the most impatient person in the world. So I'm like, I want my album to come out on the day I graduate because it's called Class 19. And like, if it doesn't work for the label, it doesn't, it just doesn't work. There's no like pulling strings. I'm not like big enough to to have a say in, in, in all of that stuff. I mean, they have artists with bigger, uh, uh, I don't know what the word is. That are more of like more of a priority for them. More of a priority, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so that was honestly, I wasn't when I did class nineteen independently. I wasn't like, oh, okay, I'm independent now. I was like, let's just do this this mixtape independently and see what happens. And we put it out, and it just was funny. It was just everybody, and everybody was really into it, and everybody at Spotify was really into it, and I was getting playlists and streams and my monthly listeners were going up a whole bunch and I was like, if I can do this with a mixtape with no features and no collaborations and just music that I made for fun that I wasn't even taking completely seriously, uh, I should do this for my album too. And so I just kind of really loved the feeling of being able to do things 
how I want, when I want, and also just be in full control. I'm, I really like to be in control of everything. So that's kind of how I decided that I think being independent is, uh, something that I want to do for a little bit. And I'm not like against labels or anything like that, but I just don't really like walking in and having a conversation and feeling like I'm, I don't have kind of like control of what's going on. You know, I don't want to sign to a label just to say I signed to this label and then my project gets completely consumed by what everything else is going on. And I don't get to put out a song for like two years because everything else is the priority. You know, I don't want to see that happen. So the next time that I want to do something with the label, I want the people to be really into it at the label. And I also want to have more to offer for them. You know, I don't want to feel like, I don't want to feel like I have to convince them to take me on, you know, it should be the other way around, you know, they should want to convince me on why they're the best option. And so I think people sign way too soon and I just don't want to get caught in that trap. Uh, yeah. So I definitely see like a label as my home in the future, but just right now I just really don't want to be uh, stuck and accidentally fall into something that I'm not really stoked on. You know, that's really yeah. the bottom line. That makes a ton of sense. And I think you did it in a pretty smart way that I see a lot of artists successfully do it where they start off with some smaller labels, jump their way up. And then once they can kind of leverage their fan bases to grow their own, then they self-release because people will actually hear it versus if you self-release breathe, a lot less people would hear it than if you had, uh, it was on like a label and some PR going into it. So I think that's a really interesting thing to think of. Even if you're like, I do want to be independent at some point, or I like that flexibility to weigh the options of both. I think sometimes I almost think like, I don't know, like the chance, the rapper mentality where it's just like, screw major labels. I don't need anyone. I don't think that's such a great kind of blanket perspective. I think you have to think about what can labels do for me and what am I bringing to them, which seems like is really important for you as well. Yeah. And honestly, I'm pretty sure, I mean, I don't follow Chance the Rapper really, but I'm pretty sure he's with the major now anyways. And so is Russ. And and Russ is a guy that I really like his model of how he grew his music. Like he's pretty much following, I mean, I I guess I'm following the same model he did is that he was independent until he could just go to the label and be like, this is how I want to set things up. And this is, I want to have all of this creative freedom. I want to have all of this, whatever. And, uh, and he, I mean, he's not even technically signed with, I I forget what the the label, but it's a partnership, you know, it's Russ with whatever, I forget the label, but that's like, I think that it's to say that screw labels for the rest of your life is, is I think that's kind of dumb because labels really are a very big part of the music industry, whether you like it or not. Yeah. Uh, and, and they have a lot of resources and they're smart people. I mean, all of the labels that I've ever gone in and had meetings with, like I, I, I don't have anything bad to say about any of the people that I've met. Like they're all hardworking people. It's just, it's the, the literally the only reason why I'm independent is just because I want to feel like I just want to have more kind of like more to offer for them. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that goes back to that idea that you said earlier, where you want the people around you supporting your career to be stoked on what you're doing. And I think that's valuable to have when you're looking for a label, find people that are just as excited about your music as you are and don't feel the need to jump into something because it sounds cool or because other people have done it and it worked well for them. Yeah, exactly. So kind of on that, I'm curious, given just how much attention and care you put into growing your career outside of the music side, which we will talk about more later on, 
What does your relationship with your management look like at this point? Because it sounds like you're happy with them. Just curious to hear how they kind of support you and what roles they play with your Pluto project. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So like I said, I've been with Red Light for like two years now, I would, I think maybe two and a half years. And uh, so basically, I mean, I'm, I'm in conversation with uh, my team every single day about whether it's me being annoying about some little <laughs> note in a song that I'm working on, or yeah. I mean, pretty much we, we have to be talking every day because lately I've been doing everything myself. I've been making the artwork myself. I've been mixing myself and making lyric videos and music videos and all of that stuff. So if they're not talking to me about music, they have to ask me, where's the artwork or ask, where's the video or yeah. get me notes on this. So there's a lot of different things that we talk about, but yeah, I'm in, I'm in conversation. I'm up, I'm probably on the phone with my manager for like 20, 20 minutes a day and texting like literally the whole day. I mean, Nick is literally like one of my best friends and we don't even, sometimes we're not even talking about anything that has to do with Pluco or red light. It's just like, yeah, because we're friends, you know? So yeah, we definitely have a, a really great relationship and uh, I'm, I'm super stoked to be with everybody at, at Red Light. Sweet. So with that, let's kind of slide things over into production. First thing I want to ask is you've got nothing to work on. You walk into the studio, you've got an empty DAW. Kind of what are your first steps to get some ideas rolling to get down a track? Um, yeah, so I I have been really into synths. I have a, a Profit Rev 2 and I have an OP1 and I have a Korg mini log. And so sometimes I, I like to start with just like browsing through the presets and turning a bunch of knobs and making something weird or, or just coming up with a melody or, or whatever. It's pretty much different every single time. Uh, sometimes I'll start a beat on an airplane or sometimes I'll start a beat in my kitchen when I'm listening to music and I'm like, oh, I want to make a song like that. And I'll go get my laptop and I'll just start. But, uh, if I feel like I have to start something, chances are I really don't come up with anything that's great. It, it usually sparks from whether I'm listening to a song or it's a really sunny day out. And I'm like, I want to make a song. It sounds like this beautiful day. So it, it, it always kind of, I never like sit down and I'm like, I'm going to write a song right now. It's like something happens. And then I'm like, I have to go write a song. And so yeah, another great thing that I really love is uh, starting with some sort of sample, some weird thing, or some really nice chord progression, and start with that, build something around it, and then take out the sample and uh, play my own like chords on a different synth, or play the same same chords on a different synth, even uh, just to kind of start from somewhere. Because, like I said, I, I don't have like the best musical background as far as like theory. Mm -hmm. I took theory in. Uh, high school and stuff like that. So I'm pretty familiar with, with some of the concepts, but, uh, yeah, I, I really, I get very inspired and can move really quickly when I start with something like a, like a piano chord progression or some, some weird like loop that I found, you know, and then chances are by the time I'm done with the loop, it's either not even in the project anymore or it doesn't sound like what I started with. Yeah. I love that. And we had a podcast a couple of weeks ago with this artist, Adam, and we both are the exact same way where just to have something in there, like whether it's like a tone or a vibe, I hate sometimes talking about that or I sound like that, um, whatever, Tim Bland masterclass, but just having like something in there to give you some spark so that you're not like, this is just such an empty slate. I have no idea what to do with it. Yeah, no, it's definitely like an overwhelming thing. Another thing that I really 
another thing that I really don't enjoy is like finishing songs. Like I'm always starting songs and moving on to the next idea. Like I'll write probably three fresh ideas every day, but those aren't three songs. They're like three 30 second ideas. So, and, and especially right now I have, I'm finishing a bunch of music and it's very kind of exhausting to be like, oh, I need to go make this mix sound better or I need to find a better kick sample or whatever it is. It's just, that is not fun to me. Uh, I really, my best songs are songs that happen like instantly. And uh, so, but obviously you still have to bring these songs to the finish line. Mm -hmm. And although it's exhausting and although I don't enjoy it, I know that I have to do it. And I know the song is going to be 10 times better if I spend four more hours on this mix, you know, it's, it's going to be worth it, but I, I really don't enjoy it. (laughs) Yeah. So how do you, how do you kind of manage with that? And you also kind of talked about that idea where you don't create great music when you have to start something. How do you kind of manage that with the fact that in order to grow your career, you need to put out music? Yeah. I mean, so I pretty much am always writing so much new music and I'm very blessed with that. Like I, I know that I have a lot of friends that are artists that just can't write music all the time and they just can't, they write like two songs a month or something like that. And, uh, they're, get really uh difficult times with writer's block and stuff like that and i'm very fortunate knock on wood i really don't have that issue yeah uh so i really am just my issue honestly and this is really annoying to say but it's it's true i write too many things and it's very (laughs) overwhelming especially when i'm trying to create some sort of project because i'm like i have all of these ideas and i can't fit them all into these 13 tracks or these 45 minutes, I can't do it. And Mm -hmm. so that is always my biggest struggle is trying to like tame these sounds and find a way to, to have them all be into one track. And a lot of the time, my best uh, kind of solution to that is putting songs together or putting even just ideas together. Like if I have a drop that has everything goes the entire master filters down and the filters just like spazzing all over the place throughout the drop on the whole song. Like I can use that same concept, even if it's a song that's at a completely different tempo and a completely different key with completely different synths and drums and everything. I can still use that concept in another song. So that's really my latest obsession is trying to use, even though I know that I can't have these exact like sonic palettes, all of them in one album, I can still pull from them and pull ideas and have them uh, get as many of them in as possible. I think that makes a ton of sense listening to your music, just how not experimental in like a bad way, but experimental and creative in such a good way where things are developing and evolving in not the most obvious way, but there's so many new and exciting things that are happening. And it makes sense that you get to that end result by throwing so much into the DAW with all these different songs and then like boil down 10 ideas into one and kind of take the best from each of those different projects. Yeah, definitely. Like I, uh, I mean, it's, it's very like difficult for me to see like scrolling through all my demos and like, Oh, this is three years old and it's really cool. And no one ever heard it. And I'm, and no one's probably ever going to hear it, you know? So that's like, that really hurts like for me to see that. But, Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, at the end of the day, I, I can't put everything out and, it is what it is. But yeah, I really like to connect the dots and pull together as many ideas as possible. And really, from like a technical standpoint, really the thing that changed the game for that with me was when I realized that you could 
search projects in Ableton and and expand them and pull stems from them or pull the actual tracks like the kick track and the snare track from other songs because mm-hmm. then I'm like I can literally I don't have to exit and go into another track and copy it and then go back and paste it I can literally just drag them in yeah and and so that really changed the game for for that whole concept for sure so I want to go back on one thing and this might be tough to answer definitively but you mentioned that kind of compared to your friends, you have the quote unquote problem of writing too much music. And for some of your other musical friends, they struggle to write, um, you know, enough music. Why do you feel like that is, what do you do differently or what do you feel like you have that makes you stay inspired to want to create so many new ideas? I'm yeah. I mean, so my whole thought process with everything is like, I don't really get hung up on this track has to be on my EP or my album or this track has to come out even at all. So every day I like, I treat it as just like a fresh palette and I just write whatever I'm feeling, you know, and I don't really put any pressure on myself to like complete songs. And that's, like I said, that's a problem in itself, but it's, I think it's better than not writing anything at all. You know, like Mm -hmm. I think the, the mindset that I put myself into the, the reason why I write so much is that, I don't really put on, put any pressure on myself to write anything and finish it. And like, it has to be this good or it has to be that good yeah. or it has to, it's, it has to be on brand or it has to like sound like a Pluco track, you know, like I never think about that. I'm just like, I just want to sit down and just express whatever emotion is going on in my head and, and all that stuff. And I think that that is another reason why I write is because I, get super excited about things. I get way too stoked about things. I get super sad about things. Like I'm a pretty emotional dude, not in a like depressing way, but just like overall, like if something makes me happy, like I'm really, really happy. And so like that in itself really inspires me to write stuff, which I'm also super thankful for too. Mm. But yeah, I really think that, I, I think that people that struggle with coming up with ideas consistently and putting out a lot of things and getting a lot of things out of their brain. I mean, my main point of advice for that would be to just not put so much pressure on yourself and don't think about it. Like it's so, don't be so obsessed with finishing this track or this album. Like even if your album's 90% done and you're just at a wall, like my best piece of advice is like start a new album, (laughs) like start a new EP, like just, just start it. And then you'll get all those ideas out and you'll be like, wait, this is cooler than my other album or this song would be perfect for this last track that I still haven't finished. You know, Mm -hmm. like if you, if you don't do that and you don't step outside of your comfort zone, you're never going to know that that was even possible. It's never going to come out at all. You know, like I have a, I have a really good friend that's finishing, uh, not, I mean, working on another album and, uh, and he's been really stuck on it. I'm like, dude, don't work on it for like two weeks and work on whatever you want, like whatever you want, even if it's yeah. some weird like dubstep thing that sounds nothing like what you're doing or doesn't sound anything like your project. Just do it and see what happens. And then like, just have fun with it. That's the, that's the most important thing. And once you get that all out, then you're like, wait, I could do so much cooler stuff. So yeah, I, I just think that people put way too much pressure on themselves. And I think they put, I mean, don't get me wrong, I put a ton of pressure on myself for making my music as good as it can possibly be. But at the same time, I don't get hung up on certain things. Like if I'm stuck on this track 
and the drop sounds like like garbage, I'm not going to get hung up on it and only work on that song for the next two weeks until it's good. Like I'll go write a song of me singing on a ukulele or write some like house thing, you know, and then I'll come back to it and I'll, I'll have a fresh palette and a fresh mindset and chances are I'll finish the song very easily. That's huge. And I think there's a lot of trust that you'll have other ideas with that too, which it sounds like when Breathe came out, you kind of didn't have that because you were still getting your production chops. But at least at this point, you're okay to quote unquote, let ideas go because you trust that more creativity will come and you'll have new ideas, which I think for a lot of people, and if we had that issue, it takes them time to develop that trust. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's super important. Like, and that it's the same thing. I guess it's really the same basic concept that like, I just really, I'm just, I believe in myself and I believe what I'm capable of and what I've, what I'm capable of and what I can do. And so I don't like yeah. to worry about whether I can actually do it or not. I just assume that I can. And, and usually, I mean, I'm not like, I've definitely failed on a bunch of things and I've definitely lost a lot of battles, but like, I'm still confident that if you believe that you can do it, you can do it. You know I mean? Even if it doesn't happen, yeah. like if you just put yourself in that mindset, so much better things come out of it, whether it's better tracks or just more creative, just like flow. Like I just think that that mentality is so, so strong and so important for artists. I, you, you can't treat it like it's anything but just like a creative flow. You know, that, that's, that's, that's the main point. I love that. So you talked about some of the um, outboard gear that you have with the Rev, um, OB6, and Minilog. Are there any other tools that you use that are really important to your workflow just to get more creative and unique sounds in the DAW? Um, I mean, physical tools, I really, I mean, I use the Ableton Push a lot. I, yeah. I like to use that. But really, the only thing I use it for is chords because uh, if I have a song that's in... A minor or whatever it is. I mean, that's a bad example because it's all white <laughs> keys. But like, if it's in G or whatever, and I don't want feel like figuring out the scale because, like I said, I'm not super good with theory. Like, I can pick the scale on the push and just play uh, the steps, like it, like a half step. Like you, you can't play a wrong note, you know. Yeah. And so, the way that the scales are laid out on Ableton, you can just just perfectly write these chords without really thinking about hitting the wrong note or, or setting things up properly. Yeah. And uh, so that's probably a really important tool that I use. I'm trying to think what else I, uh, I really love my profit. I really love my OP one. I've been using the, just like, I don't really write tracks tracks. I know you, you can write tracks uh, on the OP one, but I really like to use the effects and the synths on there and just run it into my uh, Apollo and just resample it in Ableton instead of like trying to write a song on there. Cause it's, it's very tedious, uh, <laughs> believe yeah. it or not. I mean, it's very fun to play, but to actually try to write something concrete and record it, the, the recording function of it is really, uh, not that fun. And I'm, yeah. I'm a very fast paced person and I love to just rip through Ableton with my mouth. Like I, I just don't like to feel like I'm being limited when I have ideas going on in my brain. Mm -hmm. Like, the ideas have to be out as soon as possible so I can move on to the next one. Cause if I get hung up trying to figure out how to record this and make sure that the song's at the right tempo yeah. on the, on the OP one, by the time I'm ready to record it, I'm like pissed and I don't want to record it anymore. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So 
that's why I use, that's why I like to resample it in. But yeah, other than that, I don't really think, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm like a keyboard mouse kind of person. I I don't really use the trackpad anymore on the, Mm -hmm. on the laptop. But other than that, that's pretty much all the gear that I use on a day-to-day basis. So you mentioned resampling and just like looking through some of your uh, Instagram stories, it seems like resampling is a pretty important part of your workflow. So what does that process normally look like for you to take a piece of audio, do something new to it to make it more interesting and unique? Yeah, I mean, there's a there's endless uh, reasons why resampling uh, is great and why it can be, I mean, whether you're trying to cut back on all the CPU that you're using and resample all of the different automation that's going on on a serum patch or whatever and bounce it to audio. That way you can get rid of that track. Uh, that's one way of that's super beneficial. And then that you can apply even more processing on it and it's not destroying your computer. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's super great for pretty much like, I don't know, it's, it's, it's another like mindset thing where I love looking at audio. Like I love being able to see what it actually looks like and being able to play with it, whether you have this like big impact or whatever, this big reverb snare. And then when you see it audio and you're like, wow, that reverb tail is 15 seconds long. Like I can reverse that and turn that into a riser or whatever it is. When you can kind of like see it, it's, it just like makes more sense with me. Like even with my drums, I don't write my drums in MIDI. I don't put them in samplers or drum racks or whatever. I just drag them on right onto the uh, audio track and just write them that way. And there's a lot of tech. I've done a lot of research. There's people say that technically um, something with transients or something ridiculously technical that having it in uh, as an audio track rather than a MIDI track is better anyways. I've heard both. I've heard arguments for both, but that's just what I do. And the reason why I yeah. do it is just because I like, I just like to look at it. That's literally it. It's not a super technical reason. Uh, but yeah, I, I like, I like audio. I like looking at samples and also I've, I've been dealing, I still haven't purchased a super powerful computer yet. So I, I always work like to work in audio because all of my like VSTs always make my computer explode. So <laughs> I'm always more comfortable with uh, like I have all of these amazing contact libraries and I use them like once a month because it's the one time that I have the patience to wait 10 minutes for it, the, yeah. for it to open, you know? <sighs> so I need to invest in a, in a computer. Like I want to get that new MacBook pro with the 64 gigs of Ram and the i9 processor and all that stuff. But that day will come. But yeah, that's another yeah. reason why I like resampling because it's easy on the computer. <laughs> totally. No, I definitely feel that like, I know a lot of people use the output stuff, but I've never been able to find a spot for it in my workflow because it's like, okay, let's load up Exhale and you know, go take five minutes, go on a walk, grab a coffee. Like I don't, yeah. it's like I want to get ideas in quick. And a lot of times with contact libraries and like some of their tools, if those don't help me with it, they might be cool. But if it's just going to kill my creative flow, I'm not going to use them. Exactly. Yeah, that's the biggest thing. I, I've been obsessed with output and all of their products uh, since day one, I have like the output desk and, and all of that stuff, but yeah, I always have trouble opening them and it's just cause they're massive sample libraries and also my computer's slow. But one thing that I did find a nice trick that really helps with that is, so if you have like a, a patch or whatever in a contact library, let's say it's signal by output, yeah. uh, you have a patch. If you save that, uh, like if you go into Ableton and you get an audio or a instrument rack, 
Yeah. And uh, you save it in the instrument rack and save it in Ableton under your like collections or whatever. Like I have like a Pluco instruments thing. Yeah. And so I can open up right now, like I can open up Signal and it'll take 10 seconds because it's already preloaded to that preset because I saved it. But then once you open it up, then you can browse through the preset. So it's kind of like a shortcut of how mm. you can lo- load it faster. So you could do that same thing with all of your contact libraries. Just save Smart. one preset. Yeah. Yeah, just save one preset as an audio effect rack, or not an, audio, an instrument rack. And then when you open it up that way, it's much faster. I don't know why. I don't know why. If it can open up that fast that way, then why <laughs> can't it open up that fast the other way? But that's just one thing I found that speeds up the process. So I want to talk about the production behind your uh, latest release before we recorded this called The Lovely One. Is there anything in that record that you're particularly proud of from the production standpoint? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot that I'm really proud of on that record. I'm, uh, I've just been overall super proud of all the stuff that I've been putting like blessings and the lovely one and all the stuff that I've been working on. Uh, that one I'm super stoked on just like how big it feels and just like, uh, it's just like, it's just super kind of magical, you know, it just really feels like something that's that you haven't really heard before. And that's another important thing that I'm really into is trying to make something that for that track, I wanted I wanted people to be listening to it and, and enjoying it and smiling. And then when the when the big like drop main section comes in, them to just be like, "What is going on?" And just like for them to just be like, "Wow, this is." I wanted it to be this kind of like overwhelming yeah rush. And so I think that I I think I pulled it off. I think I because uh, every now and then, if I don't listen to it for a while and I hear it, I'm like, "Yeah, like I, I think I I think I did what I wanted to do on that one." So I'm definitely really proud of how big, uh, how big it feels, you know? Yeah. So I edit most of the podcast that I record. One thing that I've noticed is we talk about a lot of the negative side of being an artist. So I want to know what are one or two of your favorite experiences that you've had so far with your Fluco project? Um, yeah, I mean, there's a ton of like, uh, I'm trying to think of specific examples, but like overall, just the, I, I really, am obsessed and so thankful that I can just like do what I truly enjoy doing and make a living off of it. I think that that's something a lot of people take for granted. Like I could be stuck in a class right now trying to get a degree for a job that I don't really care about that I only kind of care about, but like, I love music. I'm always listening to music. I always run, want to write music. So the fact that I can like do that and create something substantial with it and create like this physical not product, but just this physical, like, like a song or an album or whatever it is for anybody to listen to, or for me to listen to when I'm a hundred years old and play my grandkids, you know, I just think that's so cool that not only I get to do that and make an impact on the community, but also the fact that that makes me, helps me support myself too. So yeah, that's probably like the biggest thing that I'm super stoked about, about like being an artist and everything. I mean, I really love, the the travel benefits i mean it's really exhausting going on tour it's not it's not magical at all it's it's definitely exhausting but i yeah. i still am very thankful for all the places that i get to go and all of the places that i get to see like i've been to pretty much every major city in the us and i've been to mexico and canada and i've seen i never would have seen any of these places without music and uh even though while i'm there it's a little stressful it's it's still worth it and i get to meet some 
incredible people and incredible fans along the way too. So yeah. yeah. And, and I really am excited to, when I start to go to places like Australia and Europe and Asia and, and get to see more of that side of the world because I've really just been in North America my whole life. But yeah, I mean, yeah, there's a ton of things that I am super stoked about with music. I mean, the, the people, uh, I love like just being with other artists and just hearing what they're writing. It's very inspiring. Whether even if we don't write anything, just like playing each other's stuff, then you're like, oh, wow, like they're really onto something cool. Now I want to make something that's just as cool. You know, it's like, it's like constantly pushing each other, whether you know it or not, like just by playing just by someone playing me their next single and me being like, Oh, like, that's really good. Like my music needs to be that good. Like mm-hmm. that, that's, that's motivating in a positive way too, you know? Like, so yeah, I mean, there's, there's a, there's a bunch of things that I love about music, but that's probably, those are probably the main, the main points there. Awesome. So a few more questions and then we'll wrap things up. First off, We've got a lot of newer producers listening to this podcast. What advice would you give to a producer that's just starting off to give them the best chance of success moving forward with music? Um, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a great question. I really think that uh, the main thing for someone starting, and I mean, everybody, everybody that is even the most famous and crazy musicians in the world, everybody starts at the same place, whether they'll admit to it or not. Uh, they, so, I mean, I, I just really like to talk to people. I mean, anytime someone DMs me about this kind of stuff, I, I just always answer and always give them the full answer. And it's pretty much the same thing every time. Uh, because I know that someone else, I know that when I was that age or at that point in my life, I, I wanted someone to tell me. And so what my main thing that I usually say is like just having confidence in yourself, confidence mm-hmm. in your music and just not giving up. And you know, that's pretty much what I've been preaching this whole time we've been chatting. And that's just because that's just like what I naturally believe in. It's not really like a mindset that I had to put myself into. I'm just, I was just born with that mindset. And that doesn't mean that, that someone that doesn't have that mindset now can't have it in two months, you know? Yeah. Uh, So that's why I'm like always preaching that you need to just like put your head down and focus block out any other things that are, that are going on. It doesn't matter what anyone's saying. If you're happy with what you're doing and you're stoked on it, don't let anyone like tell you to stop because when you're 40 and you're working at some job that you hate, uh, you're going to be regretting that you quit making music because Johnny down the road told you that you suck because you're writing bad beats or whatever, you know, like, so just don't give up on what you're doing and just constantly be grinding. Don't be lazy. It's, it's, it nowadays it really is like, a grind like at the same time as you're this creative person and there are a lot of artists that are like that they want nothing to do with the business side and they just think that they're just such a gifted artist that everybody's just gonna all of a sudden care and I really wish that was the case but you also have to really get your head on straight in the business side of things and you really have to be willing to be sending out emails for two hours a day or be dming artists asking them to give you feedback on stuff, you know, you can't just like make it and just expect everyone to show up. And that's when people get really frustrated. It's like, no one's listening to my music. And it's like, cause you spend a hundred hours writing this song and then you just put it out and that's it. Yeah. You know, if you spend, if you spend a hundred hours writing a song, you should spend at least a hundred hours mar- marketing it and putting it in front of people, you know, unless you're yeah. Justin Bieber or you're Skrillex or your flume or whoever you are, you, you can't just like write this masterpiece. Even if like 
even if some 16-year-old kid wrote something that's better than Tame Impala, Flume, Skrillex, all combined, um, all that talent combined, even if this 16-year-old kid has all that talent, if nobody, if he's not marketing in it or doesn't have someone else marketing it for him, no one's going to hear it. And it's really mm-hmm. sad that that's the truth. But there, are, there's just so much music in this industry and in this just like new wave of just everybody wants to be either a rapper or a producer or whatever it is you 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 have to make a lot of noise and i I don't think that and people are afraid that that's going to impact their kind of like creative perception and how people are going to think of them but i i don't i don't don't really agree with that I, i think that someone that has the motivation and the drive to push their music i think that's a very attractive trait in in someone i don't think that to be a creative genius, you have to just sit and write these crazy little beats and that's it. And, mm-hmm. and nobody, and not do any work behind it. I, I think that it's just as attractive to be a good musician and a good producer. I think that being a great marketer is just as attractive as that. You know, I think that being a great, having your head on in the, in a, in a business mindset, uh, is just as attractive as being a creative genius, you know? Yeah. So people, people, I don't want people to get caught up in, and thinking that it's only about the music because sadly I wish it was too, but it's not, you know, it's just the way that's it is. probably, that's just the way it is. It sucks. But yeah, I mean, that's probably my biggest, uh, that's, that's probably my biggest piece of advice for anyone that's trying to get, get off their feet, you know? Totally. And I think with that, kind of like you touched on earlier, if you don't have that mindset right now, that doesn't mean you can't develop it. That doesn't mean you can't learn how to market and grow your own career, how to, you know, develop that growth mindset with your own music to put in the time that you need, you can still get there. So don't feel like, Oh, I don't have that. I'm not cut out for it. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, think like if you, two years ago or whatever it was, you had no idea how to even use Ableton or FL studio or whatever it was. You didn't even know what an EQ was, you know? And so right now you can't think about, and that's how I think about everything. I, I love to learn as much as possible about every little thing. And so I think that if you can get yourself in that same mindset, treat marketing and treat learning about the industry and all of that stuff as, as, uh, intensely as you treat your production skills and your mixing skills and your mastering skills, because this day and age, it's, they're just as important. If not, sadly, I think marketing is more important. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, well, with that one last question, what's going to be coming up for you in the next zero to six months? Uh, I got a lot of music coming out. I don't have specifics, but uh, yeah, it's it's going to be a lot of music, a lot of music that I've been working super, super hard on and that I really think uh, people are going to enjoy, uh, hopefully. <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, that's what I've been working on. That's what I got coming up. Uh, a whole lot of music this year. Absolutely. Sweet. Well, with that, we'll wrap things up for this episode. You can all find Pluko's music in the description of this podcast. So go give it a listen as this episode is just about over. Sam, it's been great chatting with you and I appreciate you being on the show. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. This is great.